Up next is a daily devotional by Pastor Tim Dotson, pastor of JF Believers Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Subscribe to our podcast by visiting burningdogradio.com and clicking on subscribe. Thanks for listening to Burning Dog Radio. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 30 says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like God's angels in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, since the Sadducees believed only the first five books of the Bible to be authentic, Jesus used a passage from that text to point out their error, saying if there was no resurrection, then the text would have read, I was the God of, not the I am the God of. Certainly there are a great many things concerning the eternal heaven that we do not understand today, but we can rest assured that no one will be unhappy with the accommodations. Now this last group, the last group that we read of, they marveled at his teaching, and this group, they were astonished at his teaching. Even yet, ironically, they all will soon be chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 34 says, But the Pharisees, when they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the Pharisees must have been absolutely thrilled to see their philosophical opponents bite the dust when dealing with Jesus. In their arrogance, they now step forward to try their hand at stumping this man from Nazareth. In their attempt to force Jesus to choose one commandment of the law over another, these Pharisees no doubt thought that he would then expose weakness in another area of the law. Yet Jesus, not to be cornered, encompassed the whole of the law with one shot. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and a great commandment. No doubt this commandment, and note that it is a commandment, okay? Not an ideal, it's not a hopeful suggestion, it's a commandment, is even yet the foundational center of the whole of Christianity. With this issue firmly in place, all of the other aspects of our faith fall naturally in their individual location and importance. Notice the all-encompassing nature of this verse. Three different times, Jesus uses the word all. That is particularly interesting in a religious society that continually seeks a nebulous balance with all of its worldly pursuits. How often we can use phrases such as, put Jesus first, put Jesus first, meaning that as long as Jesus is first in our lives, which by the way is rarely the case, we are then therefore free to pursue as much of the world's offerings as we can consume. Second place, third place, etc. But you see, this verse doesn't say love him first. It says love him with all 
all your heart, all your soul, all of your mind. And factually, such a love will reflect in service unto him and the kingdom. Now, how can we achieve this standing? It seems to be an impossible scenario. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 tells us the secret. Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring. To love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now, the act of Jewish circumcision, that physical cutting away the flesh, was meant to be a representation of a greater act. It was meant to represent the spiritual cutting away of the flesh, a departure from our old man, our old life, the world and its passions. So the God of love himself gives us of his love that we might love him in return. What is our part then? To first seek such a state and then to allow that work to take place in our lives. A task that frankly takes a lifetime to live out even if we are very willing. 39 says a second likewise is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus here and gives commandment number two love your neighbor as yourself. Now the irony of this verse is the twisted interpretation that is often given by those who yet attempt to dance out of the ramifications of it. There is a common stance out there today that says that we must therefore really love ourselves in order to really love our neighbor. So we must of course work very hard to love ourselves. How's that for reasoning? Anyone who has a shred of understanding of the heart of mankind knows that it's that that is hardly a problem. In truth, while well, we generally love ourselves like no other, Jesus is also not asking that we beat ourselves down, but rather to simply redirect that love towards others, as God himself has done. Verse 40 says, The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. On these two commandments hang all of our walk in Christ too. Now certainly this puts to rest this commonly held belief that, well, the whole Jesus thing is complicated and confusing. Verse 41 says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, Of David. Now, after three came against him, now it was Jesus' turn, as it is often the method of Jesus. He allowed those who stand against him so often to step inside his world and to condemn themselves. So Jesus asks the ultimate question, and that's the same question that he is still asking today. What do you think about the Messiah? What is your understanding concerning him, his son? Who is he? Whose son is he? And Jesus was not at this point seeking their understanding of him, but first their understanding of the person of the Messiah specifically, one whom they ironically believe themselves to be waiting for, though apparently they were doing so with blinders on. Thus, Jesus dealt with them where they were. He asked them a 
theological question, if you will. Now their answer came forth from their training. It was an intellectual response, though essentially correct. The Messiah would indeed come from the lineage of King David. Verse 43, he said to them, How does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now in this quote from Psalms 110 verse 1, the first Lord refers to God the Father and the second to the Messiah. Thus David was saying that the Messiah was his Lord, quote unquote. Now David called him his Lord, his heir, how can this Messiah also be his son? The Pharisees were definitely waiting for the Messiah, but you see they are waiting for a human Messiah, a political Messiah, not not this so-called Messiah. The Pharisees were therefore naturally reluctant to admit that the Messiah, whomever he was, was also deity. The truth is that Messiah was both man and God. Jesus proved it from Scripture. If they had hearts that were receptive and came truly seeking the truth, they would have recognized Jesus for who he was. Verse 46, No one was able to answer him a word, neither did any man dare ask him any more questions from that day forward. So the show was over. Jesus 4, Attacker 0. And Jesus, as always, proved both his positions as well as gave opportunity for those who believed to come to him. In this case, no one stepped out of the pack. Then again, as Jesus said himself, it was a road that few would find. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. For more information about Pastor Tim and JF Believers Church, visit jfbelievers.com.